We'll now read from Matthew. We'll start with the reading from chapter 4, reading from verses 1 to 11. This is not marked in your sheet, but you will find it on page 967. This is 967, Matthew chapter 4, 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Men does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of, the, of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up on their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put God the Lord to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. And we will now continue in chapter 13, verses 24 to 29, and you'll find this on page 979. This is 979. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed into his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed wheat among the wheat and went away. Then the wheat sprouted and, and formed ears, and the wheat also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did this wheat come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. And we will now continue in verse 36 to 47. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the son of the, king, stands of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fire furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The right, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Morning. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Stuart, and I'm on staff here. And 
yeah, excited about this morning. Um, we have been uh, planning to align in these morning series with the Thy Kingdom Come initiative, which the Archbishop has kind of uh, declared and asked all churches, all the Anglican churches, to be praying um, the Lord's Prayer daily as we come up to Pentecost. And so to kind of align with that, we are doing this series in the morning, morning uh, services on praying in the kingdom. And that's what we're in uh, today. And um, while the Lord's Prayer is probably familiar to many, if not most of us, uh, we're going to be looking or focusing or thinking about one of the lines that maybe we don't uh, think about so much. And that is the little line at the end of the prayer that says, deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. So that's what we're going to be thinking about today. Let's pray as we do that. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come to you and come to your word this morning and to learn. And we pray as we, as we come that you would teach us, that you would strengthen me, and you would help us to hear what you want to say. Amen. It's always good, isn't it, to know when someone is out to get you. It's always good to know when someone's out to get you. Um, I've only ever played the board game Risk once in my life. I know I save all the best anecdotes from my sermons. Um, but it was a very humbling experience. Um, as those who know me, I sort of, I consider myself a strategist. I consider myself, you know, good at picking up games. And so uh, it came to play in the game Risk, which is apparently a classic. And uh, my friends explained the rules to me. I, uh, I read the instructions. I mean, no one really does that, but it's important. I read the instructions. Um, and then I picked my mission card, right? And it said, uh, take over Russia, which sounds great to me. So I was like, fantastic, I'll, I'll go for it. Um, and so we set off, it, the game began, and I, I made my first moves. And then next move, someone attacked me. I was like, okay, all right. Well, they're presumably they're trying to get to, I don't know, wherever they're trying to get to. So I kind of worked out where that might be, and then I moved my bits. And okay, I was out of their way. Surely I was out of their way. Did my next move, and someone else attacked me again. And I was like, okay, I've moved. Like, where are they trying to get to this time? What, what, what's their mission card? Mm, mm, tactics. Um, and uh, so I was like, okay. So I did all the readjustments I thought necessary. And then next move, same person attacked me. And again, and again, and again. And they were just killing themselves. It wasn't, they weren't getting anywhere. What were they doing? And, and, but by the, time, by the time they died, I was so weak. And I was no way I was going to win. And despite being the first time I played the game, I was very disappointed. Um, and uh, so anyway, frustrated, at the end of the game, I asked, like, what was your mission card? And they're like, just to kill you. <laughs> I didn't know you could do that. Apparently, one of the mission cards in Risk is just to kill another player. And uh, they succeeded. Had I known that, had I known that someone was out to get me, I would have played a very different game. And almost certainly one, of course. <laughs> it's good to know when someone is out to get you, isn't it? Well, guys, when it comes to God's kingdom, when it comes to following uh, Jesus, there is another player in the game. There's another player in the game. Uh, one of the commonalities in both of our passages today 
remind us that amongst all that God is doing in the world, amongst all that he is sowing and, uh, and doing, there is another. There is one whom Jesus calls the enemy, a spiritual power who opposes God and works to disrupt and destroy everything that he's doing. Did you know that? Were you aware of that? That there's someone out there with a mission card to destroy us? So who is, who is this enemy that Jesus talks about and faced? Well, in uh, the passages we had read, he's, he's got a number of names. He's called the tempter. He's called the evil one. He's also called the devil or Satan, uh, both of which translate as something along the lines of slanderer or accuser. And I know that as soon as we hear those names, the devil, Satan, um, all kinds of images come flying into our heads, probably along the lines of the Sim Simpsons cartoon devil, you know, uh, red, uh, red tracksuit trousers, uh, horns, tail, pitchfork, the works, or maybe something from Buffy the Vampire Slayers, um, or a more appropriate, more up-to-date reference. And um, yeah, we, we imagine something like that. But, but the truth is that most of those ideas are just pure fiction. They've come from our imagination, we've come from uh, popular culture. There's actually no reason whatsoever to believe that um, Satan is anything like that at all. So what does the Bible have to say about Satan? Well, first of all, he's real. He's real. And that might not be so obvious, actually, to us. The Bible doesn't seem to present him as a fairy tale or some general force, like the dark side of the force, or, or even a, as a personification of evil. It presents him as a very real threat. The Old Testament talks about him as real. Jesus talks about, talks about him as real, as we've heard. Paul talks about him as real. Peter talks about him as real. John talks about him as real. And alongside this, his existence explains a good many things in this world. Romeo Dallaire, I don't know whether I've pronounced that correctly, who's the commander of the UN peacekeeping force that was in Rwanda during the genocide, wrote in his memoir, his book about that time, wrote this, I know there is a God, because in Rwanda I shook hands with the devil. I have seen him, I have smelled him, I have touched him. I know the devil exists, and therefore I know there is a God. The Bible isn't entirely clear about what, what the devil is. Don't exactly know. There's some things that point towards him possibly being um, an angel or a spiritual being that rebelled against God. Um, we don't know. But what is clear is that he's real, he's powerful, and he's active on earth. And he has set himself up against God and against all that God is doing in this world. Now, so for some of us, that is, that is a brand new idea. Maybe it sounds completely mad. Others of us, others of us know, know this is, is true. We, we know we've, we've just part of our kind of inherited Christian faith. We know this to be true. But I wonder, how often do we think about it? Have we taken it into account in our 
game tactics. How often do we pray the Lord, the Lord's prayer, and, and really mean, Lord, deliver us from evil? We may not have realized it, but this world is not uncontested. As C.S. Lewis said, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. And as much could be said on this, but one consequence of it is that we should expect opposition. In our walk with God and trying to follow uh, God, we should expect opposition. In Colossians, uh, Paul describes Christians as those whom God has rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son he loves. When we decided to follow Jesus, when we decided to fly his flag, we suddenly got dropped, parachuted into a fight. It's like defecting way behind enemy lines. It's like wandering into the stadium, sitting down in the home, in the home stand, and then proceeding to put on the away kit. We should expect opposition. And you know, the more, the more noise we make, the better we're doing, the, the more we're seeking God's kingdom, doing his will, the more opposition we should expect. And, and, I, and I just want to flag as well that I think this is particularly true of evangelism. That is the coal face of, of, of Christian ministry, of, of, of our Christian war. That's where we are really doing battle, where God's kingdom is, uh, is robbing Satan's kingdom, where we are telling people about Jesus. And that is where we will face um, most opposition if we are really making ground. So what kind of um, opposition should we expect? What are our enemies' tactics? Well, I want to suggest that uh, Satan's main aim is to get us off track with God. To get us off track with God. We see this a little bit in the temptations of Jesus we read in Matthew 4. Um, we see Satan offering uh, Jesus bread He's trying to get him to uh, provide for himself, to not trust his father, to disobediently use his power. We see him challenging him to jump off a high building. And initially that might look like faith, but Jesus uh, unveils that as putting his father to the test. Finally, uh, Satan tries a sort of frontal attack and just says, look, I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth, everything that you've come to claim, but I'll give you an easy way out, a way without the cross. Just worship me instead of God. And while there's loads going on in this passage that we could look at, the common theme in all of these complex temptations is that they are aimed at driving a wedge between Jesus and his Father. And, you know, I think sometimes we uh, imagine that Satan, Satan's aim is to make us miserable, to make us really unhappy, to make our lives um, terrible. Um, we think that, you know, bad things as we see them must all be, you know, his work and anything happy must be the opposite. 
But you know what? I, I don't think that Satan really cares whether we are happy or sad, rich or poor, healthy or unhealthy in the long term. As long as we are far from God, he's happy. Notice what Satan offers Jesus. He offers to make his life easier. He's starving and he offers him food. He's come for the kingdoms of the world, which are rightfully his as the son of God, and he offers him an easy way out without the cross. He offers to make his life easier. Satan doesn't care if we're happy in the short term, as long as we're not following our Father. He knows that if he can separate us from the Lord of life, we will destroy ourselves. And to this end um, of getting us off track, Satan has a whole variety of tactics. There are many, but four of his favorites are disinformation, distraction, discouragement, and discord. And they all start with D, which is amazing, and fortuitous. Disinformation, because Satan knows the truth about God and God's love for us and plans for us, it's all good. It's all good news for us. And so he has to fight with lies. He is the master of the half-truth, of the niggling doubt, of the whisper that says, did God really say? Now, I don't want to suggest that every single doubt that comes into our minds is, you know, a work of Satan, but he plays on those things. He tunes them up when we're already thinking them. He's, he keeps them there when we've started them. And I wonder if there are some of us here this morning who are kind of out of the fight because of certain lies that just keep coming in and keeping us off track with God. Then there's distraction, because if Satan uh, can't get us to disbelieve the truth, he certainly isn't going to let us act on it. As uh, Adrian Rogers says, if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. I wonder, are you currently out of the fight because you're distracted? Maybe just sheer busyness. Then there's discouragement. Because if Satan can't distract you, he's certainly going to try to put as many obstacles in your path as possible until you start beginning to think, did you get it all wrong? Maybe you didn't hear God to tell you to do that. Maybe you're not really making a difference. Maybe it isn't really worth it after all. I wonder, are there some of us here who are, who are doing what we think God has called us to do? We know that. But we're at that point where we're just asking the question again. Don't assume just because it's hard that it's wrong. And then there's discord. Because it's fine to have Christians in the fight, as long as they're fighting one another. I wonder whether we have unwittingly been tricked into scoring an own goal, whether currently we have a kind of bone to pick with um, another Christian or something, and we are actually just walking the wrong way. And these are just some of the ways, um, just 
throwing out there that Satan can get us off track. But I do just want to take uh, the opportunity to add another one. And that is that we, we do also, we can also make ourselves vulnerable to spiritual attack when we get ourselves involved in spiritual stuff that is not of God. It may sound really kooky, a bit odd. Please come and chat to me afterwards if you have any thoughts or questions on this that you'd like to elaborate. But we should be really wary of, of spiritual stuff like fortune-telling, mediums, tarot cards, psychic stuff, spiritual healing that isn't Christian, um, Eastern or Celtic pagan stuff. It's around. Uh, Wicca, Freemasonry, it's loads of stuff. I, I, I could just go on. I, you know, I don't want to come across as, as um, too uh, odd or superstitious, but at the same time, I think it's a good principle that whenever spiritual energies or powers are involved other than the God of Jesus Christ, there really is only one other source. And we make ourselves vulnerable to our enemy. So, on that slightly somber note, what should we do about it? What, what can we do in this spiritual battle? We, now that we know we have an enemy out to get us. Well, we, we are focusing these mornings on prayer. And prayer is a great place to start um, in the spiritual battle. So, I have three ways that we can pray uh, when the kingdoms collide, which is the uh, title this morning. First of all, Pray confidently. Pray confidently. A number of years ago, um, a couple of friends and I w went to South Africa, um, my home nation, and we spent a, a, a number of weeks with a, a family friend of mine who's a missionary with Agape, does evangelism on campuses in South Africa. She has done for about 40 years. Absolutely amazing. While we were there, we uh, also met through her one of the teams that does uh, evangelism out in the rural parts of South Africa. And we just had a kind of day with them and chatted to them. And I was asking them, we were asking them, what are some of the differences, you know, doing evangelism out there, telling people about Jesus out there rather than in the cities? And there were some things that I expected to hear, but one of them that I didn't was, they said they faced a loads more obvious, overt spiritual opposition in the rural areas. Um, really strange behaviors, freak weather, um, witch doctors, all kinds of odd stuff that's way out of my comfort zone. <laughs> um, and so we, you know, it was interesting chatting to them, but I went away and we spoke to my friend uh, Marion and we said, well, um, okay, well, how do they deal with that? You know, what, is that, what does that look like for them to deal with? And she said, well, I've only been out with them a number of times, but the one thing that has always really struck me is their confidence, is their confidence. And she told some, some really odd stories. She said there was, twice she went out with them different times, and one time they were out there, and they, they were showing the Jesus film, which is a film about Jesus' life dubbed into the local language. Um, and as the film was starting uh, with this team, uh, suddenly the car alarms of the Jeeps that they were with, that, that they'd come in, suddenly started going as the film began. And that would be perfectly normal, except 
They were ancient, ancient Jeeps, and they didn't have car alarms. But the guys they were with didn't panic. They just walked over to the cars, their hands on the cars, and said, in the name of Jesus, be quiet. And they just stopped. That's what she said she saw. <laughs> and then uh, another time they went out, and again, they, they always show the Jesus film. That's the way they, they do evangelism there. And they were coming up, it was coming up to the crucifixion, literally the crux of the uh, film. And, uh, and, uh, and suddenly this lady in the middle of the crowd just started going uh, really berserk and really um, just making a lot of distraction. And again, they didn't panic. You know, uh, the guy who was leading it just turned to her and said, I think that's probably spiritual. Just pointed at the lady across the crowd and just said, in the name of Jesus, be quiet. And the lady went quiet. Now, those stories are so far out of my comfort zone, I don't know what to do with them. And I'm not suggesting that that's always what spiritual warfare looks like, and I'm not suggesting that's always how we deal with it. But the one thing she'd taken away from spending time with these guys was their confidence in the name of Jesus. A.W. Tozer said, I'm not afraid of the devil. The devil can handle me. He's got jude I, not, I ain't never heard of. But he can't handle the one to whom I'm joined. He can't handle the one to whom I'm united. He can't handle the one whose nature dwells in my nature. We can pray with confidence because the Jesus we follow, we worship, is far, far greater than the one who's in the world, than our enemy or any other spiritual power. And we, we see that in our passages, don't we? You know, the one theme in the passages is Satan. The other is Jesus winning. <laughs> uh, in the temptations in the wilderness, he gets everything thrown at him, every temptation from different angles. But Jesus is not swayed. Satan has no power over Jesus. And throughout his ministry, he demonstrated that in small ways and big ways. And in Colossians, it says that on the cross, he robbed Satan of the one great weapon he has to separate us from God, the power of sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he made a way for forgiveness. Sin can no longer separate us from God. That ultimate getting off track with God is now disarmed. And then in our second passage, we see something so important. We see that uh, we, while we might, might be in a battle day by day, the outcome of the war is not in question. The outcome of the war is not in question. This is not a battle between equals. We're not worried about how the end of time is going to turn out. Jesus says, at the end of the age, the Son of Man, Jesus, will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all that do evil. Jesus wins. And so we can pray with confidence. It's so easy when we hear about a real enemy to panic, to be suddenly go into a superstitious overdrive, see him everywhere. But the name we call on is higher than any other name. So pray with confidence. But confidence is not the same as complacency. So the next thing is that we should pray continuously. Pray continuously. The Lord's Prayer is 
the Christian's daily prayer. I assume that because otherwise I presume it would say, uh, give us today our weekly bread or something along those lines. It's our daily prayer. And so we're supposed to be praying daily, deliver us from the evil one. Very similarly, writing on the topic of spiritual warfare uh, in Ephesians, Paul concludes the section by saying, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So I wonder, is this part of our prayer diet? Do we proactively include any element of spiritual uh, prayer or prayer for deliverance from that in our day-to-day prayers? Not just in times of crisis, not just when it's really obvious that something weird's going on, but daily. Here are just a, a few very, very brief ways that we might go about that. The first one is just being a little bit preemptive about it. Um, uh, I've been reminded that I don't do this often enough, but I found it helpful to start my day by a little section of my prayer, just looking through my diary for that day and just noting where are the points where I am going to struggle. Okay, I'm going to be in a meeting with someone that I've recently had an argument with, and I'm going to be defensive there. I need to pray, deliver me from that temptation. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be really tired by this point, and I'm gonna, I've got a different, difficult decision to make. I need to pray for God's help there. I'm going to be, you know, late uh, and lonely and uh, tired and hungry tonight. I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to be vulnerable then. Be preemptive. Think ahead and pray into those places we know we're going to, the battle is going to be hardest. Another thing is to just incorporate into our time of prayer, a time of just asking God what the spiritual dimension to whatever else we're praying about is. You know, it's so easy to pray about things just kind of as they seem on the surface. And and that's fine, but sometimes there's more going on, but we never ask. It's not going to be obvious. How are we going to know unless God shows us? But sometimes he does. We don't ask. Sometimes we don't get. So maybe just include in your time, okay, Lord, these big things I've been praying for, is there anything else going on? And how should I pray about that? Final practical tip is... um, to use the gift of tongues more. Um, Gift of tongues, we're told in Corinthians, is a prayer language that God gives us, uh, or some of us when we ask for it. Um, And uh, we're told that the gift of tongues helps us pray when we don't know what to pray. Well, I'll tell you, spiritual situations are the kind of situation where I have no idea what to pray. And I know that many people uh, find it helpful if they have the gift of tongues to pray in tongues. So why don't you try that. So we shouldn't be complacent. We should pray continuously. But then the final, final thing, final way to pray is um, when kingdoms collide, we should pray positively. Pray positively. And what I mean by that is don't get too distracted by any sort of newfangled Uh, defense against the dark arts kind of prayers. Rather, rather, focus on Jesus 
and on the good tasks that he has given us to do. Focus on the positive things of God's kingdom. I've, uh, I used to play rugby, have played it all the way through school, all the way through university, a little bit after as well. I was a scrum half for many years. And um, when you play, you know, for a while, played for a while, you often come across these wily players um, who, uh, you know, opposite number, scrum half, who really try and get at you. They really try and get under your skin. And they will, um, like, if you were, you're putting into the scrum, they'll just stand a little bit too close to you when the ref's not looking so that when you step back, you get caught on the leg. Or they'll just, they'll just when the ref's not looking, they'll just tap your, your elbow. Not enough to do anything, but just enough to annoy you. Just those little things. And when I was um, kind of new to the game, I would react to that by, like, beginning to try and get them back, you know, elbow them or kick them in the face or something like that. But, but I quickly learned as I kind of matured in the game that that is exactly what they wanted. That they wanted you to focus your energies on them and not the game. And actually the best way was just to kind of take them into account but just kind of ignore them a little bit and, and focus your attention on playing well, passing well, tackling well and annoy them by beating them. <laughs> Um, well, the same is true for us in spiritual warfare. If, we, if Satan can get us to focus on him more than on God, he's already begun to win. Satan would absolutely love it if we went witch hunting, if we spent all our time in prayer, just you know, praying defensively and getting worked up about it. And, inst- and forgetting to say, enjoy God's love. Pray for the things God's given us to pray for. Or do practical things like just tell people about Jesus. <laughs> and I think, uh, I would want to suggest to us that as long as it isn't complacency, I think there is a healthy disinterest in Satan um, for us as Christians. Ultimately, The most effective combat against Satan is positive. It's about turning to and focusing on God. I don't know whether you've um, ever read it, but in Ephesians 6, when Paul talks about the armor of God, it's a great image. He picks out all the different bits of the armor, and there's different names for everything, and it's very exciting. But when you actually look at what they're all called, breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation, belt of truth, they're all the kind of normal things of our faith. They're all about God and the truth about God and what he's done for us and has promised to do for us. There's no special holy water, fancy techniques, these kinds of things. It's about turning to God and the core things he has to say about us. And, um, you know, I've been doing some, some, some gardening recently, um, and uh, there's a whole bunch of pots and kind of stuff at the back of the garden uh, not being used, and they're all overturned there. And, um, you know, as, I, as I've gone to the back there and I've overturned them, you know, just big pot, you know, you know what you're going to find underneath it. Over t- been there for a while. You know, all kinds of things crawl out from underneath the slimy things and scaly things and all kinds of things crawl out from underneath there. And I didn't have to, I didn't have to, put out an invitation. I didn't have to put a little sign there saying, critters welcome, slimy things, please come in. I didn't have to stand there with a megaphone to get 
that space to fill up with all kinds of odd creatures. It was just the perfect environment. It was, it was turned over, it was cold, it was uh, damp, and it was, it was out of the light. But I also didn't have to, you know, absolutely go to war to get rid of these things and kind of like, you know, bug spray and all kinds of things. No, no, no. All you have to do is turn the pot up into the light, into the fresh air, and they go scattering. And that is true of our lives as well and spiritual warfare. Our most powerful weapon is turning our lives up to God, to the light, to the truth about who he is. I want to suggest that the most powerful weapon we have in spiritual warfare is confession and repentance. Actually saying to the Lord, I'm not going to hide this part of my life in the dark anymore. I'm not going to give the devil a foothold in this area of my life. I'm going to turn it open and up to God. And the light, his light, will drive out Satan. He can't operate in the light. So when we pray, let's pray confidently, let's pray continuously, and let's pray positively. We do have an enemy, but the one who's in us, Jesus, is greater than him who's in the world. Let me just pray for us as we finish. Father, we thank you for letting us in on this truth. Uh, Lord, that we wouldn't be naive about life and some of the opposition we face. Thank you also that you yourself promised to be our armor when we turn to you. Pray that you'd make us mature, able to discern when we have more than just the natural opposition uh, ahead of us. Lord, help us to see in life where we have an enemy pray also that we would be confident in you. And I pray, Lord, if there's anything that you've highlighted this morning, any one thing in our hearts today, that you would um, help us to bring it to you. To bring it into your light and offer it to you. Thank you that your name is higher than any other name, Jesus. Thank you that you win. Amen.